Hi, everyone. I'm Jessica Deruzza, and this is the Trust Psyche podcast on astrology and depth psychology. I'm a psychotherapist, astrologer, and teacher, and you can find me at trustpsyche.com, where you can begin studying astrology with me today. Thank you so much for being here with me. I really appreciate you, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi everyone, I'm super excited for you to listen to this episode. Just want to let you know that in the first few minutes we had a minor tech issue with the internet being a little slow, so you're going to hear some pauses and a couple beeps, but after the first few minutes that goes away and the rest of the time together uh, should be good to go. All right, I hope you enjoy. Let me know in the comments. Oh, and if you're listening to this on your podcast app, there is a video if you want to watch it that is on the Trust Psyche YouTube channel. Okay, thanks everyone. Yay! I'm so happy to be here. Happy full moon. Hi, Matt. Hey, Jess. <laughs> um, so here we are. Today is February 5th, 2023. And we're in the exactitude of the full moon um, in Leo. And I just want to start by saying you are one of my favorite people to talk to. And you're definitely one of my favorite people to talk to about the cosmos. And I feel really excited and honored that we get to have this time together. And I just want to open the space by having us each set an intention for this time and this journey that we get to go on today. So mm. I was wondering if you just wanted to, to set an intention for our time together. Well, Jess, um, I'm so excited to be in dialogue with you today. I feel like every time uh, we get together with the intention of exploring the cosmos, our place in it, a portal opens up. And I, my intention would just be to see as clearly and as uh, compassionately as we can into the portal uh, that mm. hopefully we together in the next hour can can open up and uh, explore together and maybe invite others to explore as well. Mm, I love that so much. Yeah, my intention is fully to be in that with you and also just to deeply connect with you and um, let our love and let our arrows come through um, for one another and for everything that wants to come through today. Because I feel like that's something that is special about our connection and our relationship. Um, we've been talking with each other for 15 years now. <laughs> Yep. <clears throat> Amazing. <laughs> so something that's just been sitting with me is that we are here in Aquarius season and you are an Aquarius. You just had your birthday recently here less than a week ago. And I am just so deeply fascinated by you creatures. I think <laughs> of you as creatures. Um, I think you hold a very unique place in the Zodiac and I would just love to get to know more about what it's like to be an Aquarius and what your experience is. And if there's anything you want to share about what it means to you. 
Hmm. I definitely had the experience upon first hearing Aquarius as a sun sign described to me of recognizing myself. I know that can be common for people, but mm-hmm. I definitely always felt weird and kind of um, like I didn't think the same way as people around me, even though I was very interested in what other people around me were thinking. Mm-hmm. And so there was always this um, yeah, feeling of being, different, having a different, unique perspective on things, not always being understood by others when I would try to explain that perspective to them. Um, but despite my difference, like I always was really curious to, to talk with other people about what they thought, you know? And so Mm. it's almost like this desire to collect other people's perspectives, um, not collect, like have them as my own or something, but to just hear out other people's perspectives. And even if I don't agree with them, I was, I've still always been drawn to be in that dialogue. And um, hmm. so there's like this, I feel this tension, which, you know, is often part of this description of Aquarius as um, super individual in, in the, you know, creative and weird ways that they look at the universe while at the same time, very much liking the community immersion and being um, socially connected with other other people, um, mm-hmm. and I yeah I love to hang out in that space of um, yeah the tension between my own unique perspective and the diversity of other views uh, mm-hmm. out there. Oh, that's so well put. Yes, that's. Yes, I feel that just you're perfectly describing um, the innate paradox or paradoxical nature of being an Aquarian. And I feel like you are so good at genuinely being curious and open about everybody else's perspective. I would say sometimes to a fault, probably from my own Capricornian stance, I'm like, why are you curious what that person thinks? Or, <laughs> you know, I don't think I don't think uh, we need to be curious about that, right? It's just like, but it just so genuinely comes from this beautiful place inside of you that really wants to understand. And I really value that openness that you bring. And at the same time, you are very difficult to pin down. You're very difficult to put into a box or to pigeonhole or label or any of those things. You feel like a constant mystery to me that always eludes me. Like you're kind of like I, if I go to grasp you, it's just like, and then like you quite won't let me. And then you like slip through my fingers, but we're still connected. It's not like you detach and you're unavailable. You're still fully here and I feel our hearts connected and that you genuinely love and care about me. But at the same time, I can't ever quite like pin you down. Yeah. I'm a, <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> slippery fish, I guess, but, <laughs> but that's, I mean, one of the challenges that I've experienced being an Aquarian is um, the, the boundaries, like, mm. you know, the water bearer and like, scooping up the flow into a container is what I'm supposed to be doing. But sometimes, um, 
keeping the flow contained and distinguishing what's my flow and what's everybody else's flow, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, especially at, you know, in earlier, earlier stages of my life, that was more difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've had to learn, I mean, and there are other aspects in my chart, um, that play in here, obviously, but we just had to learn how to create those those boundaries and you know while i'm still open and curious about um every everyone i i've to protect myself and and others had to learn to you know sometimes erect uh, some some boundaries some um some beaver dams that mm. uh, uh, divert the flow of things that are not healthy for me and that i don't really want to um, amplify by, you know, digging into and, and, and talking mm. about, um, and just mm. in terms of other, other people, um, being able to protect and honor, you know, my, my own energy and my, my own flow and recognize when, Hey, even if I want to be nice to everybody, um, sometimes it's best to not, um, mix, mix flows, mix energies and, and mm. just keep myself safe. Um, Mm. Mm. when you, when you started talking about the mixing, I definitely got like a really, um, clear hit on alchemy. Like it's like, what kind of, um, um, substances do you want to alchemize with to create alchemy with like using what your flow and substances, your channel, and then somebody else's and having that discernment, having that awareness of like, I want to bring this through. I want to create with this, right? An elixir or a cocktail or something. But then like, oh, I don't want to mix with that. Mm-hmm. And I could feel there like the maturation in your awareness of how you want to channel that water, how you want to channel that energy because you as the water bearer decide what that vessel gets filled with and what it gets poured into or used for. Like that's your job. You're a steward of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I think part of the lesson for me is, has been recognizing um, how to check my tendency to want to kind of be friends with everybody and include everybody and to recognize that, okay, that that's a nice impulse, but there are times when, like that person's stuff is not my responsibility to figure out how to include in the larger social thing that's happening, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and to not feel, to be able to say, no, I don't need to be the social glue that's going to bring this person back into the fold right now because that's not my responsibility always. Mm-hmm. And it's not always mm-hmm. possible. And I don't need to feel bad about it if, if it's not happening. You know, mm, mm. I think uh, that was a hard lesson to learn. And, you know, I still navigate that, but it's easier for me now to recognize the difference between, oh, I just want to, I want to be liked by everybody. And so I need to go make sure this person feels included so that like they like me versus mm-hmm. what's actually best for the group. What's that person's stuff and their karma. And do I really need to yeah, mix with that right now and feeling comfortable when the answer is no. Hmm. 
Wow, that's such growth. I mean, just to bring in another aspect of your chart, right? This is the three degree tight conjunction of your sun with Venus in Aquarius, which is that need to be liked, that need to please, that need to have everyone in connection, having your role as the sun and your identity being the one that facilitates or becomes the social glue to make sure that everyone is included and everyone is happy, um, but that everyone likes you. And knowing that because it's an Aquarius, there's such already a strong emphasis um, in like celebrating the eccentricities and uniqueness and differences of every individual within the community. Like, hey, it's okay. You like Aquarius almost says, it's okay. You can be whoever you are, show up as you are. And that is valued here. And when you have Sun Venus in that, it's going to make you so prone to like almost habitually or unconsciously earlier in life taking on that function. But right in your natal chart, Pluto is also tightly square this aspect within two degrees of your sun and five degrees of your Venus, which indicates to us you're here to deeply transform whatever that tendency is and purify it into something that is more powerful, um, which means having to shed certain levels of social superficialities or the need to be liked in order to stand more in truth, to stand more in your power. Mm. Yeah. That's a hard yeah, thing to do. It is hard, but it's, it's rewarding to recognize that while superficially it might feel like, oh, by not including this person, now they don't like me. There's a deeper possibility to, if it's karmically meant to be, to help that person transform by that act of, of saying no to whatever the energy was that they were bringing. So wow. this is something as a teacher that I have mm. had to learn because if you don't give appropriate feedback, um, that is sometimes it needs to be negative for that person to grow and learn, then you're doing everyone a disservice, like just keeping it on the superficial level of like, yeah, great job. If it wasn't actually a great job, you know? Hmm. And so, yeah, learning to navigate how to meet people with honesty and um, not feel like I'm being judgmental in the bad sense or like they'll perceive me as judgmental if I just give my honest observation about how what they're doing is not working or mm. how they're below the level I'd like to see them at or whatever. So that mm. deepening is uh, scary at first, but it's so much more satisfying than the superficial interaction, like knowing that I'm not actually telling this person what I really feel inside because hmm. I don't want to upset them, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Wow. What a beautiful development. Yeah. Because I can feel, um, the reorientation of right relation there and thinking about the integrity piece of if you're really here as an Aquarian to show up in your truth as an individual from what your real ideas and perception and vision is, and you speak from that place of clarity, that level of truth, that actually 
that's the deepest act of service you can bring into the community because then that becomes for everyone's highest good versus just, yeah, that, that other layer of like, oh, let's just all um, get along or do this communal thing together. But actually, I think that what's going on here could be better or different or have a different um, energy or orientation to it. Yeah. And so that's shifting the right relation of like, what is actually uh, like a higher octave expression of what being an Aquarian is. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, having that Pluto square <clears throat> to my, my stellium in Aquarius there, I think is a big part of this. And it's a lesson that I needed to learn. It wasn't like, you know, one of those trying gifts um, that just comes naturally. And it's like, there, I notice a lot of this transformation for me happened in like the last decade or so. And I just noticed the shift from um, like being in community of personas, kind of superficial huh. versus community of souls where you, I start to become aware more of I mean, what we could call karma, but also just like the deep, um, the deeper layers of psyche that are um, involved in shadow projection and anima projection and all these ways in which what we mm. present to one another at the persona level of just like the superficial um, chit chat and um, the type of connections that are more just, um, mm. you know, not, not like deep friendships, but just like, you know, saying hi and how are you and passing in the hall and stuff that mm. the type of communities that I want to be in and cultivate and um, play that connective role in is a community of souls, right? And it's not valuable to just do the community of personas, superficial niceties thing, um, which came very mm. easy to me. <laughs> it's just not satisfying anymore, right? It feels mm. so um, empty, right? It doesn't even feel mm. like community anymore. And there's like a mm. deeper a deeper task that I feel called to that's not as, not always as pretty um, and isn't mm. always as immediately well-received by others if they don't want to do the deeper work. But um, yeah, at this point, like once you've tasted the the depth of that type of transformative work in community, um, yeah, there's just like no turning back. So and yeah yeah i'm loving this wisdom coming through you i'm liking you so much more uh right now than i have it's just great <laughs> <laughs> well just wait pluto's coming into aquarius going over my sun and i'm just gonna keep ripening into this It'll be hades by the time it's over <laughs> I was going to say, I can hear in what you're saying, the added layer of your nodal access also being involved in this, right? So you have Sun, Mercury, and Venus, and Jupiter all in Aquarius. The Sun, Mercury, and Venus are all in the eighth house, and then square to Pluto and Scorpio um, in the fifth. But your North Node 
in Taurus is in the 11th house and the 11th house is the house of Aquarius. So we look at this beautiful connection here of, okay, your son is in the eighth ruled by Pluto Scorpio, which is Pluto in Scorpio is squaring your son, but what rules the fifth? Leo, the sun. So we have this beautiful interchange and then you bring in the other fixed sign of Taurus into the 11th. And what I was getting in that when you were talking about this community of souls, you know, the 11th house is the house of friendship. It's the house of community. It's the house of how we show up socially in group, but it also is about living into for, for lack of a better phrase, and maybe you have a better one, new paradigm way of engaging things, right? And so your North Node is there, which shows us that your destiny of that place of your soul stepping into its growth edge, its growing edge, is actually learning how to choose that Taurian embodied physical of this earth imminence involution of... How do you actually show up in community in this deep soul way instead of, I love it, this community of personas? And it's like, yeah, that's part of your destiny. Like that is part of your dharma and what you signed up to do. And the thing about it is earlier in life, the North Node usually feels counterintuitive. It feels forbidden. It feels like it's not maybe even a choice or an option. And yet here we are within four degrees of your nodal return and we're having this conversation and it's like this 18 and a half year cycle of you coming back home to yourself and remembering your soul's intention before incarnating this life of, hey, use your power as a teacher, as a philosopher, as an astrologer, as all the different roles that you inhabit to call in a community of souls and doing and signing up for that level of transformative work. And I'm really like hearing and seeing that in you more now. And then just to add the one last layer that today, the full moon at 16 Aquarius Leo is in a grand cross in the sky with the nodal axis and Taurus Scorpio and Uranus and that's all happening on this very part of your chart. So it just feels like this kind of Shakti pot um, dragon riding through saying, yes, claim it, write it, do it. And I'm feeling that in your soul in a way that I haven't felt in the last 15 years. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how... Um just, you know, thinking back to like my teenage self and, and just remember like 18, 19 feeling like I knew everything that there was to know, like not all the information, <laughs> but like, like I just <laughs> had the wisdom figured out and all the adults were stupid and just didn't get it. And hmm. How aging and, you know, really... <clears throat> mid-30s but uh i guess more in the mid-30s now 37 is like it's kind of getting up there but there is so much wisdom that comes with age and there's no way to communicate it to younger people like 
even if I could somehow travel back in time and talk to my 18-year-old self. There's nothing I could say that would change that 18-year-old perspective on life. And it's important mm-hmm. that that kind of naivete not be dampened. You know, like we need to be able to mm-hmm. um, explore imagining that like we've tamed the dragon already and like <clears throat> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. know how to forge our way in life because if we didn't have that naivete, we wouldn't make the mistakes and learn the lessons that mature us you know with age but Hmm. so it even though you know 37 not that old i can already tell that like a decade from now another decade after that that like there's this this ripening that happens that gives us new Hmm. perspective on our lives and allows us to see and feel uh the these like textures of life that just weren't anywhere in our perception when we were younger you know, and so this and and astrology really provides a way of mapping these changes and like seeing the seasons of this ripening of of the soul. Mm-hmm. It gives mm-hmm. you a way of externalizing it and talking about it symbolically. Um, and so, yeah, it's I'm so glad that I have this. Um, this language to work with to mm-hmm. intensify um, my awareness of like the process of aging and the cycles of life. It's just such a gift. Mm-hmm. It's a real gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, being in dialogue with you for the last 15 years, I've probably absorbed more through just osmosis from, from you than I have from like my own reading. Um, I think mm. um, I'm not, no, not not an astrologer. I'm not um, really an expert in the language, but I've absorbed enough of it to feel oriented, mm. and more than just absorbing the language, just being aware of mm. the world in such a way that you know a world where an astrology is possible. I think is a very different world than one that can only be measured by like clocks and calendars that are kind of only arbitrarily connected to the, Mm. to the sky. Mm. Well, Um, you're opening, you're, you're opening up a lot here in in (laughs) what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, There's like three different things coming through and I'm, I'm not exactly sure which one to start with. Um, I guess I'm going to, okay, I'm going to start with the, I'm going to start with the cycles part, right? The cycles and the seasons. Um, yeah, so learning this language teaches you how to tell time. Tell time. What does that mean? To read it, to speak it, to tell a tale, right? It's a telling. It's a story. So learning astrology, learning the language of astrology, it teaches you how to tell time. How valuable is that for someone who is oriented toward life in a way that is insold and also therefore growth oriented, right? Those are the same things. Okay. So there's that. Wow. (laughs) Um, But it's also then a companion because 
then you're not only on a journey and 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 able to uh, be aware of that journey, you're able to be in dialogue with that journey. And the second you're in dialogue, you're in relationship, and there is another there that is accompanying you on your soul's journey, which I think could probably be, if we had to pick one thing, the most healing thing that we could bring into our world today is that we're not alone mm -hmm. in what's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. If you take it seriously that this is astrology is real. But not just take it seriously, take that next step, which is actually living with it. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, our uh, Rick Tarnas is always talking about astrology as the gold standard of superstition and so many scientists and physicists, astronomers, whatever, they love to make fun of it and tell us like the universe doesn't care about you, like mm. grow up. And they kind of say that in this flippant way as if they've actually really confronted what that would mean in their own lives. Mm. Very few, I mean, you know, someone like Nietzsche or, or Jung in his own way, in his like red book phase, like confronting what it means that the cosmos has become disenchanted is not something you just like throw out um, yeah. as a flippant comment and tell people to like get over it. It's like, no, if you really take that in, the level of like shamanic dismemberment and death of your sense of, um, of self be due to not being loved by this other, is I think, yeah, it's something that most people who th imagine the universe that way haven't actually gone through. They haven't actually felt it. They're like mouthing the words, but they haven't gone through mm. that loss of meaning of, of externally provided meaning. Mm. And somewhere we have to go through that, but we need to come out the other side and recognize that yes, the universe does care about you, but you have to, you have to care about it enough to 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 feel its love like we're not just you know in the womb anymore fed through mm. the fallopian for through the uh, umbilical cord like mm. we need to reconnect with the universe and it's only going to respond to us if you know if we participate mm. and i feel like that's like culturally that's the moment we're at needing to rediscover this ancient language i mean it's like the most it's the oldest language we have really is astrology. Yes. yes. Um, Thank you. We need to rediscover it um, freely having gone mm. through this sense of a loss, of, you know, cutting the umbilical cord, feeling mm. lonely in the, in the uncaring universe. Um, but yeah, just in terms of the way that the popular imagination understands these things, I think we're at a, inflection point right now where astrology is actually really popular, but I don't feel like it's popularly understood in the serious participatory way that it needs to be because um, it's still too egocentric ultimately. Like people want to hear mm -hmm. about themselves. So of course they love astrology, right? Ah. But we haven't, we haven't really stepped into it as a relationship to others, to these 
oh. archetypal beings, spiritual beings that we're in community with. Oh. Astrology is not about you, you know? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh my God. Thank you. I have seriously been hitting my head up against the wall for 15 years because we met at the essentially the same moment I discovered astrology. And I've just been like, I don't understand. Like, I'm always just like, I don't get it. You just explained <laughs> it to me. Thank you. Oh my God. I feel healed. I'm like, of course. Yes. It's too egoic people. Of course they like astrology because they want to hear about themselves. But what they haven't taken in is the holy other of these spiritual beings and the 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 the, the, the vastness and the ancientness of that wisdom and therefore how to come into relationship with that and truly be in dialogue and listen to what's happening there. Thank you. Riddle solved. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. Okay. Do you want to say anything else there? Do you want me to make my next comment? Well, when you were saying it's it's about telling time, I yeah. was just thinking it's like finding the beat. And so, um, you know, Travis probably knows this better than either of us, but like when you're trying to jam with people, like you have to listen to what they're playing and then find the beat, find the melody and contribute something that is in resonance with it that is yeah. in harmony with it. And I feel like as we relate to the movements yeah. of the planets, um, you know, through the constellations, we're in the position of uh, musicians and yeah. we're being asked to participate and to improvise with what's the music that's already being played. Oh, I love that. Um, and so, yeah, it's not like it's just – that your life is just your you being on solo guitar the whole time, you know, like that's mm. not really fun for anybody. And I, I feel <laughs> <laughs> people often approach the popular way to approach astrology is like your chance to solo, you know, mm. which isn't actually what it's about. Like you have to mm. find the beat first and then, yeah, you, you're supposed to contribute something, but you got to know what songs are being played. Oh, Matt, I love that. That's a beautiful um, expression, channeling of your Sun, Mercury, Venus. Just like mm. bringing in the the musical analogy, but then your the square to Pluto, your depth of understanding of what is participation. What, what are we actually talking about here? And you're saying, no, first listen and tune into the melody to find the beat, right? Like. It's so there's a song already fucking playing. Like, you, you, sorry, I hate to break it to you. You didn't start the song. The song's already in motion. You listen and then please come in and like contribute your part. And we need you to. We want you to. But yeah, this isn't a solo act, is it? Mm -hmm. So this just then to kind of bring it back into this. Um, understanding of aspects right so this so this this way of it being told about time um travis and i are preparing to teach on aspects and it came it came through in our conversation yesterday where it's like it's actually by looking at the aspects themselves that help us tell the time because it tells you where you're at in the season or the cycle so i'm going to 
give you example from your own birth chart to ground us back in because you started this when we were talking about specifically your sun venus but it's your sun mercury venus that it's not in a trine not in a flowy harmonious trine to pluto no it's in a square and i thought that was a very interesting distinction you made because on the one hand there's a clear difference in telling what time it is when it's a trine versus a square just that in of itself and it's like yeah a trine time is usually a softer flowier more ease-filled time and a square time there is struggle and dissonance and tension and aggravation it's not an invitation it's a demand you better fucking do this or else right um especially with pluto or else you'll be deformed or else you'll be mortified it's like no you this life and telling time of where your soul's at with these particular mythological stories which is what every combination is it's a fucking sto ancient story that's evolving of course but it's an ancient story and your story this life in the way that you're listening and tuning in to the music and how you play into it is a square but it's not just a square it's a waxing square and a waxing square the opening square is different than the closing square it's different than the waning the waxing square is about you building new structures and new systems new infrastructure into whatever realms and worlds and dimensions that you are participating and giving your life force energy you're here to build new ones you're here to rebuild from the wisdom of the knowing that you've come into for example, in how to be a teacher and how to give feedback and how to create soul community versus egoic community or persona community, your, your task in that waxing square is to use your life force energy to actually create the new infrastructure that then emanates, transmits, reflects, and embodies that right relation of that knowing. And that is one way that we tell the time of your soul this life when if it was a different aspect including even the waning then it would be a different time telling so that's a, an example of how looking specifically at the aspect the geometrical relationship of the planets tells us about the quality of that time specifically rooted within what part of the story's arc are you meant to be listening to and then contributing through how you play the song mm. yeah does that land for you <clears throat> mm -hmm. yeah it does because i mean cycles are easy to think of as just um the same thing repeating over and over again but when you consider the the waxing and waning it adds um a, a kind of directionality to it, like beginnings okay. and endings, um, creation yes. and destruction. And that, that breaks you out of the, any sense of just going around in a loop. Um, mm -hmm. because 
there's always, there's a trajectory to the universe and Mm. nothing ever happens the same way twice, but there are still cycles. Thank God we can orient ourselves um, to some Mm. degree, but it's, it's not like, you know, the map is not the territory. Mm. And so the stories that are encoded in the cycles are, there's room for our participation, right? There's room Mm. for improvisation and mm. so it's more, yeah, it's more like a spiral, right? Than a, than just circles. But yeah, in terms of Pluto um, waxing, it does feel like. I mean, I was thinking of my my relationship to institutions and mm. this sense that, like, man, the ones we have now are so uh, repressive and oppressive and stuck Mm -hmm. sclerotic um Mm. and at the same time that i want to like destroy them i also especially as i've matured have recognized that institutional structures are kind of important too Mm. um because without them it it would be pretty chaotic Mm. and so they can become unhealthy and when they do but they they need to be torn down but then you need to rebuild something in its place, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a teacher, a professor and looking at the future of higher education universities. Like, I don't, I don't, it doesn't seem like a bright future to me. It seems like there's mm-hmm. massive change already underway. And five, 10 years from now, I have no idea what that landscape is going to look like. And yet I'm kind of excited about that because I feel, you know, I can find my way in that in-between phase before a new institutional structure takes form. Um, I think I'm, I have the skill and I'm well positioned to like navigate that say like if universities, including my own, just start closing because nobody wants to pay so much money for a degree that could very well happen, you know? And then what do you build in its place, it's not that there's not a hunger for education, for learning in the world. Right. There is. It's just that universities aren't providing the structure that people can A, afford, and B, mm. they're not providing the type of learning environment that actually allows you to learn. <laughs> mm. um, so, you know, I, I was thinking about this more concrete example of how structures are falling apart at the same time that. I feel called to like participate in, in rebuilding out of mm. the rubble. Um, mm. It, you know, it remains to be seen, but it feels like that could be, you know, the next um, part of the main part of what my next nodal cycle is about. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And might in some way tie into Pluto entering into Aquarius here, um, mm-hmm. in this, you know, in the spring here in the next month and yeah, like the next 20 so years of like, what does that actually mean for that quality of Aquarius of, yeah, how do we actually show up in these community spaces and education and higher learning does have a deep connection to that, but particularly the type of 
school that you teach at, right, CIS, and the fact that things like astrology and psychedelics can even animism, you know, can even be a part of that. It's like very Aquarian. And so mm-hmm. here it's like you as an Aquarius with Pluto getting ready to enter that site, part of that story is going to be what's that collective transformation of institutions and higher education going to look like. And you mm-hmm. seem to have a role in shaping that because of the position of where the sun is in your birth chart and the timing this lifetime of Pluto going over that part of your chart while you're a professor at the age that you're at, that's going to overlap with your Uranus opposition. And I just bring that up because, you know, Pluto's a 250 year cycle. It's not like every lifetime you're going to go through Pluto conjunct your sun. Right. So there's something particular about this lifetime and this timing and what you just talked about that seems highly connected to this collective time period we're going through, which is very Aquarian. It is about the collective, but you as an individual, like what's your role going to be in helping us get to what is going to come next for our future on a humanitarian level, which Aquarius really is, it's a humanitarian, um, someone who deeply loves humanity. It's like, how are you going to help steward us into what learning and access to knowledge and wisdom and community gets to look like? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, It resonates. And I'm just feeling the, the challenges that lie ahead. I mean, there's oh, so many, <laughs> so many. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's so many like ways in which, whether it's transhumanism or posthumanism or whatever, it's like, nobody wants to be human mm. anymore. <laughs> we just oh. want, want to like, we want to advance to the next thing or regress to whatever, just being oh. animals again or something. Oh, um, that makes me no, so sad know, not, to hear not that. Not putting the animals down, but but you know that seems to be culturally like nobody wants to. In some ways, I don't even think we've really become human yet. That's still like the ideal that we're striving for, but it's so mm. hard. So it's so mm. difficult and requires such um, mm. a sacrifice of what ego and um, just mm. this devotion to a larger collective project that's not just about you know your own glamour or fame or whatever Hmm. and um but yeah human being human is not something that um seems all that popular as a goal for striving for right now and i think Mm -hmm. we need to be able to hold hold our humanity um close as we move through this, I mean, the whole Pluto through Aquarius um, phase, I think is going to involve this like struggle for our very humanity. Cause like, we're going to be, some people mm-hmm. are going to be merging with machines and like the AI mm-hmm. is going to be taking over more of our day-to-day functions. And mm-hmm. um, it's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm not, yeah, I'm not just, I'm not just trying to like scare, scare everybody because it's, it's an exciting time and it's a, it's a challenging time, but it's going to call mm. forth, you know, mm. um, people who can work with this, these energies, right? Yes. I almost said yes. it's going to call forth the light workers, which is a weird new age cliche. It's not just light workers, it's shadow workers too. <laughs> um, mm. Well, shadow workers are light workers. Okay. That, that, that is what a light worker is. If we're not spiritually bypassing right. into a superficial understanding of what a light worker is, a light worker is someone who is able to pass through mm. and um, yeah. transform or metabolize the toxicity and the distortions that make up the shadow. I like that. That's that's what a light worker is. It's, if someone is, and, and this and this I think is the definition of being human. And, and this is something that I want to be more and more of. I mean, my central practice at this point spiritually is to be human, um, which is why, yeah, I felt sad when you named that. Though I do believe what you're saying um, is true, and it's like, and and in connecting it back with astrology, it's like. If our astrology doesn't help us make us more human, I, I'm i not sure what it's for. Um, I do genuinely believe that the universe wants us to be human. That's why we're human. And that coming together of heaven and earth is like is, is, is the dream. It's the vision. And though I can be very idealistic as a sun, mercury, Neptune, and Pisces rising, I, I would hope that the AI eventually would free us to have more time and space to come back to what being human is, which is feeling and connecting and being together and being creative and improvising and playing our song and contributing on that level. Like I would hope that that's what the AI does for us. Mm -hmm. um, however, um, Yeah, I can feel that pull into, yeah, into the darkness. Um, maybe you can help. Maybe you can help steward me to where we want to go in our remaining time. There's one more thing I'm going to say to you, but I don't know what comes to you right now, Matt. Well, I'm just to to say that um, I don't think technology is is the enemy. Yeah. Like we can use yeah. these, these tools to foster, uh, growth, the growth of humanity into, um, mm. into the feeling life, the emotion, the imaginative life and play is like, if we mm. can get the machines to do the work for us, we have more time to play. And also there's some tasks, you know, think about, farming for example used to take up so much of our time as human beings and we have machines that do a lot of that for us but i just wondered the extent to which not being involved in growing things is actually like the work of being with the soil is actually um not the kind of work that we want to just give over to the machines like that we should participate in that to some degree because it's yeah. it's it's a it's a way of forging community to like be together with the earth tracking the seasons 
And so, you know, there's some work that I think we want to re-engage with, even if like, yeah, let the machines clean the bathrooms or whatever, but like, we don't want to give all the work away to the machines because some of it's like wholesome and important for our humanity. Well, it's important for being conscious. Mm -hmm. um, it makes me think about parenting. Mm. Like yeah. I could farm out uh, the raising of my child. <laughs> mm -hmm. A lot of, you know, people in the upper class do that or people have the means to do that. Um, however, <laughs> the the bond, the, the, the sacred connection that I have with my daughter, especially in the first two years of life, especially the first year of life, all comes from the act of feeding her and changing her diapers and helping her learn how to sleep, right? It's so intensive and so demanding. And a lot of times not fun. Like it just babies, infants, they take almost everything from you and give you very little back in the beginning. There's not like a ton of like, oh, this is so amazing. Yeah, there's moments of it. But if you're really in there doing that labor and you're putting in that time, it's fucking hard as hell. And yet now I am seeing more and more at two years and three months, this shift happening where it's like, I have a deeply meaningful relationship with my child because of that level of tending and the hours and the attention and the care that I put into doing this. And I feel like part of where the future human is going in humanity is that coming back to, hey, let's use the resources that we have to take care of certain things, as you're saying, so that we can bring our attention and intention back into what matters, which mm -hmm. is connecting with one another and being in community and with our children specifically, it's like, no, being in sleep deprivation and like showing up to help your child learn how to sleep is what gives you that lifelong soul connection to an ever-deepening relationship and communion between our two souls. And you, I don't think you get that level of connection or community or communion unless you put in that time and that energy for whether it's raising a human or tending to your farm or becoming a teacher, whatever it is, like that's what's required. And so like part of being human is doing the work in oneself to be able to actually show up in that way. And that's the hardest thing to do. And I think that's why most people don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's such a loss because I think you're so right. There's some level of trust that is established very early in life between mother and child and parent and child that's pre-verbal it's just like pure emotional resonance and if you miss that window you you can't get that back later like no amount of therapy or like talking it over no. is going to reestablish no. that basic trust that's right 
That's mm-hmm. right. That's yeah. That's what secure attachment looks like, and that's what mm-hmm. conscious parenting looks like. And we can uh, apply that analogy to any relationship between any two beings or any two, um, yeah, between between a human and their farm, between two partners. It all of that it applies across the board. That level of secure attachment is so much of just that constant presence and tending to what is that is preverbal and difficult and like, yeah, messy and very emotional. And it's so human. Like that's the most human I think we can be. But if we try and do it consciously, um, I think then that makes us more of that human that I think you alluded to earlier, which is like, we don't really even, we haven't even arrived yet in what being human is. And that for me comes back to like, it's deeply imminent, it's deeply embodied, and therefore it's deeply emotional and physical and has to do with like, in the beginning, the lower chakra working of survival. And we've just somehow decided to like, bypass that and deny that and repress that to get to some other like better higher place whether that's living on mars or you know having ai solve all our problems it's like this bypassing of no we're animals do you know what it's taken to survive on this planet you we have to honor that to then get to the higher octaves that are filled with bliss yeah I want to say one one other thing to you, and that is that earlier you said, you know, that you're not an astrologer, but, you know, you, um, yeah, you you haven't, it's landed enough and you have enough of the language. And I just want to say to you, um, six years ago, I would have agreed with you all the way up until all the time that I, you know, we were together in San Francisco, I agreed. I was like, no, you you don't quite get it. And I just want to say after spending this time together today, I fully wholeheartedly deeply believe that you are an astrologer and that you do get it and you get it where it matters. And I see that in you and I'm just so touched so moved um, to be able to experience that with you in our time together today. So Hmm. for what it's worth, you are an astrologer. (laughs) Thank you, Jess. It means a lot to hear that from you. And um, may everyone become an astrologer in that (laughs) way. I think it's super important. (laughs) I love Mm. that so much. Well, I can feel like the energy is starting to come in and I'm just wondering, you know, there, there's freedom, there's space here, but is there any like any last things that you want to have come through or any last things that feel present here to you? I feel the, yeah, the, the portal uh, was very generous uh, <laughs> to us today. and. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I feel complete mm-hmm. uh, and grateful for um, for your your wisdom, your teaching, and your friendship. And um, mm-hmm. 
so glad that we could uh, commune in this way uh, mm. from each side of, of the country. And mm. um, yeah, it's a real honor to be uh, in dialogue, um, worshiping and uh, mm. participating in this mystery. I love that so much. And if it feels right to you, I was wondering if you'd be willing to read that part of the poem that you um, said to me. I I asked you, you know, this week if you know if, if any quote or anything came to you about what it feels like to be an Aquarius, and you found something. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to share it with us here. Yeah, I'd love to. It's uh, by Walt Whitman. I think my favorite poet and it's a poem, a short poem that he wrote called the base of all metaphysics. And now gentlemen, a word I give to remain in your memories and minds as base and finale too for all metaphysics. So to the students, the old professor at the close of his crowded course, Having studied the new and antique, the Greek and Germanic systems, Kant having studied and stated, Fichte and Schelling and Hegel, stated the lore of Plato and Socrates greater than Plato, and greater than Socrates sought and stated, Christ divine having studied long, I see reminiscent today those Greek and Germanic systems, see the philosophies all, Christian churches and tenets see, yet underneath Socrates clearly see, and underneath Christ the divine I see, the dear love of man for his comrade, the attraction of friend to friend, of the well-married husband and wife, of children and parents, of city for city and land for land. Oh, I love that so much. Thank you for sharing that with us. I just want to say here in closing that it's been such an honor and very healing for me to get to spend this time with you. And I really hope that we can do it again when it feels right and that we get to have more of this because it's such... um it's such a gift for me. It's such a balm for my soul. And it's, I feel part of our story and our karma to just get to have these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that, Jessica. Thank you so much for inviting me on. And uh, yeah, look forward to more, more mm. conversation, more dialogue, mm. more communion. Mm. Thank you. So everybody... I'm Jessica DeRuta. This is Matt Siegel. And we send you all our love and blessings. Till next time. We are dreamed into existence. What we do with that dream is up to us. How we dream is as important as what we dream. For the what of the dream knows itself through the how.